Chris Point, how we doing? Hey, so good to be with you. Everyone watching online, everyone at the campuses, welcome. It's a fun energy in the room today. Um, but also, before we get rolling, just want to take a moment and acknowledge what today is. Um, it is September 11th, and in the life of our country, this is, a, this is a heavy day. And I know a lot of us probably woke up this morning, and you looked at your phone, and you saw the date, and it took you back to a certain time, a day, where you can pretty much recall vividly what you heard, what you saw, the anxiety, the fear, the worry, the sadness. And maybe you came in here with some of that this morning. So we just want to take a second and acknowledge that. We want to take a moment of silence for all those that we lost on that day. And then to go into a moment of prayer, looking to the one that is sovereign over all of this. So would you join us in prayer? God, we thank you so much for this morning. Um, we thank you for bringing us here together to worship you, to have our heads lifted up. Uh, but God, a lot of us come in here um, with heavy hearts. Um, maybe some things were triggered this morning, some not so great thoughts and memories, anxiety and loss. So God, we just want to create a space right now of silence to remember all those that we lost on this day many years ago. God, we know we face a lot on this side of eternity. Trials, tribulations, pain, loss, tragedy. But we also know greater is you than, than he that is in the world. God, we also know that we are more than conquerors. We also know that we have your spirit within us. We also know that there is one king and one kingdom that will reign over all of this. When all of this dissipates, there will be one left standing and it's you and yours. So God, help us to raise our eyes up today, to see you clearly for who you are. And God, I pray that produces hope in every heart today. Jesus, it is in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen, amen. Yeah? Man. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, if you guys have been around, you know I've been out for a little bit, been a little busy. Uh, me and my wife actually were able to welcome home our fourth child a couple weeks ago. There she is. That is Miss Holland Jean, and she is amazing, right? She is perfect. Those are all the things you say uh, about newborn babies. She doesn't cry at all, nothing like that. Uh, sleeps great. Uh, we are blessed. No, um, it, it is really going well. She's healthy. Mom is doing great. But been loving tuning in and engaging with this series that we've been in on the study of Daniel among lions. You guys been loving this series? Man. Been getting so much feedback and conversations with people about how helpful and practical it is to look at the life of Daniel and to know this is what it likes. It looks like to live my faith out for God to live faithfully in a godless culture. And I'm telling you, I think our lead pastor, Aaron Brockett, has done an incredible job over the past six weeks. Unbelievable. 
I'm telling you, pound for pound, week in and week out, I think he's one of the best uh, in the world. And he is my pastor, so I say that he is the best. Um, but I remember when he said we were going to be preaching on this series, I got excited. I was like, man, there's so many good stories in Daniel. I wonder which one I'm going to get. You know what I mean? Like some of you know, like it's just jam-packed. Me kick things off. You got this furnace scene. I'm like, I wonder if I'll get the furnace. I will preach the fire into the furnace. Like give me some of that. I was like, no, okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't get the furnace. Um, I mean, big dog, you're not going to give me the lion's den. I mean, that's like the, the theme of the whole. Th Are you going to give me the lion's Not the lion's den, huh? <laughs> what are you going to give me? Like what? Chapter 7? <laughs> you mean the end times? <laughs> well, let's have some fun then, all right? <laughs> no, it, it, excited for today, but I will tell you, if you've been tracking with us for the past six weeks, we're about to take a strong left turn, okay? These past few weeks have um, been a little bit different in pretty much every way to what we're going to face today. So one thing uh, that's just kind of fun is chapters one through six, we're moving pretty chronologically through Daniel's life. But then in chapter seven, we're actually going to go back in time because why not, right? About 14 years. So what we're going to read today happened 14 years before Daniel in the lion's den. The other thing that you'll notice pretty quick is that this genre switches. It goes from this narrative that, that Daniel's been speaking in and writing in to more of a visionary concept. We're going to be introduced to some dreams and some visions. Daniel's no longer just interpreting things for kings. He's going to get some of his own, and it's, it's dark, and it's weird, and it's crazy. Many would kind of describe this as apocalyptic literature, literature about the end times. And when we talk about things like this, some people get really excited, too excited. And some people just don't know what to do with it at all. So I just want to put one rule out in front of all of us. There's one rule for today, okay? Don't get weird. <laughs> the Bible is weird enough for me and you. We don't need to bring anything else to it, okay? Let's just read it for what it is. This is not a code we need to crack. This is not some mystery. A lot of people start reading this stuff and they look like some wild detective connecting dots and threads from here to there of I wonder when it's going to be. That's really what we like focusing on when it comes to the end times. When is it going to be the end? I get it. I get, I get bored very easily. I just want to know how that, just tell me how this thing ends. It happens with books. It happens with TV shows. If I look at a show that's like 10 seasons and I got to start from the beginning, I'm like, what are you trying to prove here with all these seasons? I just fast forward to the end. I just want to know how it ends. Like that's, and I think that's in our heart. And it was in the heart of the first disciples. They're following Jesus. They're seeing the writing on the wall. Like this guy is the Messiah. He is God. So they ask him a question that only God could answer, and they're very curious. And this is the way they say it. They say, hey, what sign? There we go. What sign? One more time. There we go. <laughs> what sign will signal your return 
and the end of the world. Nice question over lunch, right? Having just nice salad, like, hey, uh, BTW, when do you think, you know, the whole thing's going to go kaboom? Um, and Jesus answers in a true Jesus fashion, no direct answer. He basically lists all these crazy things that are going to happen, seasons to come, kingdoms rising, falling, empire, people attacking one another, earthquakes, all of this stuff. When he really gets to the answer that they were looking for, and here it is. He says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows, right? Only the father knows. So we don't need to approach this as detectives, as like we're trying to crack this, the case, that God is withholding some things from us. But if we try really hard and read between the lines, then we will see it. We have to remember that God, he is a good father. And through his scripture, through his word, he is revealing who he is and what he wants us to know. And unfortunately, a lot of times when we look at prophecy, when we look at end times, a lot of times the negative is enhanced. We get so worried on the things that really aren't that important that Jesus never gets a chance to be revealed. Don't let today be that day. Don't miss the forest for the trees. There's going to be some amazing things that we unpack, but keep your head up the whole time. Because the main theme of everything that we're going to see is this, that there is one kingdom that is eternal. And there is one king that sits on his throne. And no matter what we experience here, there will come a day where it's just that and only that. Him and his people. Amen? With all that being said... Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Earlier during the year of King Belshazzar, during his reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. All right, buckle up. The beast, the first beast, was like a lion with eagle's wings. And as I watched, its, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast... And it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Whew. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back, and it had four heads. And great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled the remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. And I was looking at the horns. Suddenly, another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I mean, I think you get it, right? <laughs> Job's done here. Pretty clear as to what we're seeing, what's going on. 
Uh, but for those of us that maybe need a little bit of extra help, all right, let's, let's work through a few things. One, wow, right? We just took in a lot. Uh, but I want us to circle in on one word that you saw over and over and over again, and that was the word like. You see this word come up a lot. It, it, when you read Daniel 7, and probably the, the next closest thing we have to it is the book of Revelation or maybe even a little bit of Ezekiel. But what we see is that with heavenly things, with these scenes of heaven, it really pushes earthly language to its breaking point. What Daniel is trying to do here is describe the indescribable. So he's saying like over and over again, trying to make sense of this picture, this dream, this vision that he's having. And I think we even experience this here on earth, right? I mean, some of the best things that you have experienced in your life, you really can't put them into words. Like, you know what I mean? Like, think about your wedding night. How would you describe that? First night with you and your wife, you and your spouse, it was like time stood still. It was like two became one. It was like shooting stars were scurrying across the ceiling. It was like there was a giant orchestra in the corner playing the sweetest sound I had ever heard. And for a moment, I knew what love was. Those are all direct quotes from my wife talking about our wedding night. <laughs> but how do you describe stuffing? like that. That is the predicament that Daniel is in. He's looking at all this and he's trying to make sense of it so that he can pass this message on to us and he's doing his best. But I think the other thing that we have to look at is, okay, what are these beasts? We see these four beasts that come up and lions and bears and tigers, like, oh my, like what is happening with all of these animals? What do they represent? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you something to help you. It's, it's a tool that I learned in Bible college, okay? I went there. Um, I paid a lot of money for this tool, but I'm going to give it to you for free. This is what they told me. If something doesn't make sense, just keep reading. It's the best they could give us, all right? So if you're ever reading a verse and it doesn't make sense, just keep reading. Read the chapter. Read the book. Read it in its entirety. I'm telling you, God's story has a way of explaining itself. And sometimes it just comes out and directly says it because Daniel is in the same position that me and you are in. He saw it, but he still can't make sense of what is it that he is actually seeing. So he actually breaks away and he goes to an angel to say, hey, bro, um, I understand it, but if you, if you had to explain it to somebody else, what would you tell them was going on here, right? And this is what he says. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen. And my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. So now we're being able to make sense a little bit about what's going on. So these four beasts that come up, they are representative of four earthly kingdoms that will arise. And what we're going to do now is, is really, it's fun and it's interesting and it's wild, the prophecy that Daniel spoke about kingdoms that were to come and how well the language he uses matches up with kingdoms that would come hundreds of years later. And it's fun, but once again, 
I want you to take it for what it is, but even this is still not the main point. Because the vision that we see in Daniel chapter 7, many believe, many scholars believe, that it actually is connected to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. That it's the same thing, but they're using different objects or, or different symbols to represent what God is showing here. So created this uh, handy-dandy table for us to be able to walk through. And if you look at this, uh, Daniel chapter 2, there's a gold head in the statue, right? In Daniel chapter 7, there's a lion with wings. And, and many believe that this represents the kingdom of Babylon, uh, mostly because the symbol of Babylon was a lion with wings on it, right? It was like our uh, bald eagle. That's what they had as a symbol. So many believe that that's Babylon. And then the next one we see is a silver chest. And then we get a bear in this vision. And many believe this represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, once again, mainly because the Medo-Persian Empire came together, and in this vision, the bear is kind of roaring up on one side to signify that the Persian Empire would actually become greater and stronger. The third one, the bronze torso of the statue, correlates with the leopard with wings here in Daniel chapter 7. Many believe this represents Greece, the leopard and the wings uh, signifying the speed. If you know about history, Alexander the Great conquered the known world in 10 years. And then at the, at the end of it, he died very, very early in his early 30s. And then his kingdom was split between his four generals, which represent the four heads that we see there with the leopard. And then finally, the iron clay piece of the statue represents the fourth beast, which is so wild and grotesque that he can't even say it looks like anything else. And, and many believe that this is Rome. Once again, it pictures that iron teeth to go along with the iron part of the statue, which like I said, this is incredible. The accuracy that Daniel was able to pinpoint hundreds of years before. And there's been so many people way smarter than me that have studied this and have so much proof to show this all matches up. But what I want us to see is that is fascinating. In that prophecy, most biblical prophecies, they are precise, meaning they point to a specific thing, but, they, but they, a lot of times they also point out a pattern too. So what it's showing here is that kingdoms will come and go. Empires will rise and fall. But as quickly as they are built, and they are going to look like the strongest and meanest and most serious thing the world has ever known, the moment they're built, they're already being broken. It's just a matter of time before they fall. Once again, we're meant to raise our eyes up to see what is really going on and who reigns over it all. And maybe you're like, I'm, I'm having a, a hard time doing that. I thought this was going to be hopeful. I thought this was going to be encouraging. All we've done is talk about beasts. Daniel chapter 7 is about to take another left turn. And, and the whole scene is going to shift like it only could in a dream. So take a look at like this. Hope is coming. I watched as thrones were put in place. And the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. And he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. 
Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Once again, am I right? So what happened here? The scene has shifted. We get the picture that there was this sea that covered everything, and these four beasts are coming out of it. But now thrones are coming down. And I want to draw our attention to this new character. It's the ancient one. A better translation of this word is the ancient of days. And what's fascinating about this term is it's the only time this title is used for God. God is called a lot of different things in Scripture, but only in Daniel does he use the ancient of days. And what this title does is it refers you back to God's, he hasn't been created. He doesn't have a beginning. He is eternal. And so you compare and you contrast that with these kingdoms that are arising left and right, coming and going. And then the ancient of days takes his throne and he sits down. Like... Do you guys remember, like maybe you growing up, you heard this phrase, or maybe you as a parent said this phrase of, do I look like I was born yesterday, right? Like as a, as a kid, you're trying to pull one over on your parents, and you think it is bulletproof. You think there's no way they're going to be able to see past you. And they see. They see very clearly. And you'd be like, hey, uh, mom, can I um, stay at Blake's house tonight? And she's like, yeah, no problem. Um, just let me call and talk to his mom. Uh, actually, they don't have a phone anymore. They don't have a phone anymore. And, and, and why is that? They're, um, they're, they're Amish now. Yeah, they've been going through some stuff, and they're figuring it out. But, you know, I need to be there for him as he goes through this transition. And she's like, hey, look at me. Do I look like I was born yesterday? Huh? I was born at night, but not last night, right? It's this idea that I know some things. You're not be able to pull a fast one in on me. This picture that we're getting of an eternal God is that his wisdom has seen it all, that he knows it all. And that's what some of the, even the attributes that we see here of Daniel doing his best to describe him, right? He said his clothing was white signifying his purity, his holiness. And then his hair was, was the finest wool, which was a sign of wisdom. So not only is he wise, does he know all things, but he is all-knowing and he is good. And then it says he sits on a fiery throne. And on this fiery throne, millions of millions surround him. The, 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 the word, the description that's used here in the original language, it wasn't even a real word. It's basically just trying to say it's the biggest number, the most people that you could think of, a bazillion, million, trillion, fillion. You know what I mean? As far as he could see, people ministered to him and admired him and worshipped him for who he was. Once again, think about how this has shifted. It goes from the chaos of the sea to now we are in a courtroom, a heavenly courtroom where the divine judge has taken his seat. And now, take a look at what happens next. It says, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. And I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. And I want us to pause here for a second. 
Once again, the little horn, I know it's for those keeping track at home, the little horn belonged to the fourth beast. The beast that was in a league of his own. He was the baddest, most powerful thing the world had ever known until he's brought face to face with the ancient of days. And I just want us to see the true picture of what it looks like when good faces evil, when ultimate good faces ultimate evil. Because we get caught up in a lot of our movies, a lot of our books, a lot of our stories where it looks like good and evil are pretty much even all the way down to the end. And then finally at the last second, the good guys win. I mean, this is every Star Wars movie, every Marvel movie, all 26 Rockies, right? It comes down to the very end. But I want us to see from this picture that when it comes to God, when it comes to goodness, when it comes to his kingdom, he has no rival. He has no equal. There is no one on the other side of him. He has no one to counter. He, from what I can tell, he is seated on this throne and he doesn't even move from it. That this evil beast is speaking and then he is no longer speaking. He is in the courtroom and then he is in the fire. As quickly as God spoke goodness into creation, he will speak evil out of it. This is the heavenly scene. Now we're getting closer to the things that God is drawing our attention to. Now the prophecy is coming to what it should be. But just to give us a recap of all the things that we have seen so far, and it's only going to get better from here. So first we were brought to this idea of earthly kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms, these four beasts that are churned up and they come out and they are evil and they take over and they each have their own time and space where they rule, but soon one falls and the next falls and the next falls and the same spirit kind of lives within them. But then we compare and contrast that with an eternal kingdom, with an eternal king, one that is not evil, one that is not self-seeking, but one that truly wants the best for his creation. And he sits on this throne and no one opposes him. He wins in a flawless victory. And now we're going to see a part of his kingdom. There's a very unique piece that distinguishes his kingdom from the other kingdoms, and it is the cornerstone of his kingdom. Take a look at this. It says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race, every nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Come on. Once again, God, this whole time is just ushering us in, lifting our heads up to see, I know this looks dark. I know you're experiencing a lot. But if you can stick with me, if you can have faith, then you got to know there's one coming that is going to make all things right. And the phrase that's used here is the son of man. And he said he's like a son of man. Son of man was just a, it's a term to, to classify humans. It's basically saying he's a, there was a human one. But once again, when you see that like language, it's like he was like a man, but, but, he, but he wasn't a man. 
because he was in the clouds. He was with the ancient of days. So he was, it was like he was a man, but it was also like he was God. And I can't describe it. That's what Daniel's trying to do here. And for us, we believe we know who this is. Anybody here know who we believe the Son of Man is? Guys, say it with confidence. We're in church like <laughs> 10 out of 10 times. You could probably justify the answer is Jesus, okay? But it is. It is Jesus. And Jesus, that is pretty much describes his life perfectly. If you looked at his life through the Gospels, I mean, Son of Man is how he described himself. It's used over 80 times in the New Testament. Maybe you've seen it over and over again, but never really knew what it meant. When Jesus uses it, he's referencing this vision here in Daniel 7 and saying, yeah, I'm him. I am the Son of Man. God and man together, that, that is who I am. And then you look at the life of Jesus, and I think it sums it up perfectly, right? Like he, he was like a man, but he was different. I mean, even the way he taught, like they said he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, but there's something different about him. I mean, these other people, they teach and they, they have knowledge and they have wisdom. But when Jesus teaches, he teaches with authority. He teaches like he just doesn't know it, but like he wrote it because he did. And Jesus, he was like a man. He walked the earth, but then he did things that just men couldn't do. He did miracles. And he turned water into wine. And people thought that was, that was pretty wild. But he didn't stop there. And as he would go, he would heal the sick. He would touch the untouchables and not get sick himself. He would touch those that were blind, and then they could see. There was even a time where he was in the middle of the sea himself and on this boat and the waves were coming and the storm was churning and he just looked out and spoke and the storm stopped. He was like a man, but he was again, more than a man. Even death obeyed him. There was this one time where his friend Lazarus had died and he walked in days later and said, rise. And people saw a man dead, get up and walk out. He was like a man, but he was so much more than that. And we call him Jesus. God wrapped in flesh and bones the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. This is who Jesus was. And it was actually this phrase, son of man, it was the tipping point that ended up getting him crucified. If you think back to the makeshift courtroom that Jesus found himself in, because they can't get enough dirt on him. So they're just throwing allegations, seeing if something can stick. They are literally paying people under the table to say things about Jesus, but nothing's working. So finally, this high priest stands up and questions Jesus. Look at what he says. It says, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. What does that sound like? Daniel 7, then the high priest tore his clothing to show his whore and said, blasphemy. Why did he say blasphemy? You know, many people try to get, weasel around this idea that Jesus never really claimed to be God. He just claimed right there. 
And the high priest knew it, and everyone around him knew it. That's why he tore his clothes and screamed. And this would be the final nail. This would be what caused the mob into even more of an uproar. And this would eventually take Jesus, the Son of Man, to a cross. And Jesus, his perfect life, the actual Son of God, would go to a cross and he would pay the penalty that you and me deserved. He lived the perfect life that me and you could never live. And he went up there and he looked like a man dying among other men, situated right in between two others. And all three of them died on those crosses. But there was one that was different because three days later, one rose from the grave. One defeated sin and death. One proved that he was not just another man, another good teacher, but he was the son of God. And now that we have all of this picture, once again, I'm telling you, you read more of the Bible, you understand of it, it just gets better and better. Because when you think back to Daniel 7, what was that? Well, that was Jesus being enthroned. That was Jesus becoming king. I mean, even think about the language that's used in Daniel chapter 7. This king that is named and all authority is given to him. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to the language Jesus came back with and that he led with in the Great Commission in Matthew 28? What did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and below the earth. Now go and make disciples of all nations. When you think back to the language that Jesus first used when he showed up on scene, what did he say? The kingdom of God is here. What kingdom is he talking about? The eternal kingdom that we see in Daniel chapter 7. It is being ushered in, and now me and you are able to be a part of this kingdom. You want to know how this thing shakes out? You want to know how it ends? I don't know when it ends, but I can tell you what it looks like when it begins to end and how it will ultimately end. Take a look at this in Daniel chapter 7. It says, as I watched... This horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. There will be seasons where it feels like we're losing. It'll feel like these evil empires have the upper hand until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. I hope this gives you all the confidence that you need, that the time is now for God's holy people to take over the kingdom. And this is not something we do out of violence or out of power. This is something that we are given, something that we receive by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. He has found favor with me and you. By his grace, he has called us children and has said the time is now, the kingdom is here. And that is what we give our lives to, knowing that maybe we see a little bit of fruit here day in and day out. But in the end, we know that our kingdom, God's kingdom, will prevail. And I pray that that gives you hope today. I pray that whatever you walked in here today with, you know now that you can make a choice to align with the Ancient of Days, that you can make a choice to align with the Son of Man, and you can know that you will remain in his hands, and there is no evil, no force that could pull you from him. You are safe.
And you know, I hear some people talk sometimes about, you know, the end times and I wish I knew and I just want to know why. What would it really help you if you knew that the end times was next year or in 10 years? Is there anything that you're doing right now that you wouldn't be doing if you knew your life was going to be ending? If there is, start doing those things right now. Live with eternity in mind, but also live with the fact that we are but a vapor. I think I'd, the older I get, the more I see that how fragile this life is, how quick it goes, how I sat with people last year that I don't get to sit with this year. How people who had plans of what they were going to be and plans that I had that are now been changed. So I pray that knowing how it all ends not only impacts your security for eternity, but it impacts your day to day right here and right now as we advance God's kingdom. And I just want to ask you to stand to your feet if you could, everyone at all of our campuses. And I want to I end with some hope, some hope that I believe Daniel had and hope that I think will be given to me and you as well. Because once again, remember, these visions that Daniel had were 14 years before he would find himself in the lion's den. And he would go through this lion's den, this experience where one of these beasts, one of these empires was actually trying to kill him, but God saved him. And then I want us to look back at chapter 6 and to look at King Darius's words after he sees this Ancient of Days at work. Look at what he says. It says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, and he has rescued each and every one of us. In the end, the most powerful man in the known world came to believe and to confess that God is who he said he is. And then we see in Philippians that a day is coming that at every name of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. What I wanna charge us with today and this week and moving forward is to not wait live into that kingdom that has been promised to us. And here in a moment, we're gonna join in on worship. We're gonna join in on the millions upon millions that are worshiping God right now. The one that is eternal, the one that reigns over it all. The holy one, the pure one, the one that is all powerful and all knowing. Would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this morning. God, thank you for bringing our heads up, our eyes up, and even the glimpses that we get of heaven, God, are enough to give us hope for the rest of our times. God, I pray that you would empower us, you would strengthen us. God, you would give us hope that no matter what we face out there, you are greater. You have proven yourself over and over and over again 
that you are the eternal one. You are the ancient of days, that you and the son of man will reign for all of eternity. You have defeated sin, you have defeated death. And God, we look to you, the one who's over the universe, the one who's over every heart, the one who sent the darkness running, the one who defeated sin and death. We lean on you, Jesus, and you alone. Let your kingdom go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.